once you've been given the chance to give in the offering this morning, would you stand and worship with us one last time?
let's make our confession this morning. This is our year of jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let's start this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writing to Timothy said, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul sets forth four categories of prayer supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And the all men that he's talking about include kings and those that are in authority. You know, one of the hardest things to, to follow about in this instruction in verse 1 is giving of thanks. Giving of thanks for all men, kings, that are, those that are in authority. It's hard sometimes to thank God for our leaders when they're taking us down the wrong road. But that's part of what we're supposed to do. God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice that those are two separate things. You have to come to a certain measure of knowledge of the truth to get saved. But there's a lot of Christians worldwide who never come into the knowledge of the truth beyond salvation. Just the forgiveness of sins. I want to talk to you a few minutes this morning about supplication. If we were to go around the room and get people's definition of supplication, we'd all come up with something different, I'm sure. The word supplication is used 34 times in the Old Testament and three times in the New Testament. In the Old Testament... The word that's translated supplication means graciousness or favor of God. It's, it points to the mercy of God and his answering of prayer. But the times that it's used in the New Testament is in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. All of that armor of God is to prepare you for the next thing, which is to pray. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. One of the things that we need to keep in mind when it comes to identifying prayers and supplications and so forth is the supplication is directed for us to pray for other believers, praying always with all prayer and supplication for the saints, not for the world, but for the saints.
But intercession is to be made for those that are not saved. If we pray for someone to come to the knowledge of the truth and to give their hearts to, to Jesus, that's intercession. But supplication is mentioned to be used for all saints. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Notice intercessions is not, ministered, is not mentioned in this passage either. Let's look at how supplication is used in the Old Testament. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them others beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. The people of Moab and, and uh, Ammon are in the place of the country that we identify today as Jordan. Verse 2, Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea of this side Syria, and behold, they be in some name of some place, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of the, of the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord God, our fathers, art, thou, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand there is not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people Israel, and gave it to thy seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil comes upon us, as with the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no mind against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. This is one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. And it seems, here we find out that Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah was about to be attacked by the Ammonites and the Moabites and those of Mount Seir. And Jehoshaphat proclaims the fast and he seeks the Lord. And then they all come together before the temple. And there's very little that resembles Jehoshaphat lifting up his heart to the Lord to ask for help. But instead, he takes a position that they've been wronged to even be faced with a battle against these people. One of the things about supplication that distinguishes it from other types of prayer is that in this case, Jehoshaphat, on behalf of the people of Judah, he takes the situation very personally and he reminds 
the Lord, he puts him in remembrance of why they're in this position that they are. It's not through any wrongdoing of their own. He doesn't ask forgiveness of sins on part of the, the people of Judah. He first indicates that the children of Moab and the Ammonites are in the wrong for lifting themselves up against the people of God. But then he goes further and says, you know, God, we wouldn't be in this position at all if you let us invade them and take care of them when we first came out of Egypt. So it's as if he states that the Ammonites and the Moabites are in the wrong. And then he turns around and says, and besides that, God, you should have done something about this before. Supplication is claiming your rights based on the word of God as an inheritance. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thine possession which thou hast given us to inherit. Folks, the land of Israel has been fought over since the first time that God made a covenant with Abraham. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that comes against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mananiah, a Levite of the sons of Ahasap, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. This person that God is going to use to speak to his people is well known. He's well respected. And the Spirit of the Lord came on him in the midst of the congregation, and he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so you shall be established. Believe his prophets, so you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. That means in front of the army. And to say, praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, much more than they could carry away. 
And they were three days in gathering of the spoil, and it was so much. And on the fourth day they assembled themselves in the valley of Berakah, for they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that same place was called the valley of Berakah unto this day. Then they returned to every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets under the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest round about. Folks, God is in the habit when it comes to dealing with his people, the people of Israel, or in this case Judah, the 12 tribes that are already split. And so you've got Judah, which is pretty much one and a half tribes, not what we would call a large army or a large kingdom by any means. But God has a habit of making Israel's enemies turn and fight each other. With Israel facing the things that they are facing now, with the war against Hamas and the threat that they have from Lebanon and even Syria, The Bible reveals God's intent. Why didn't he let them, let Israel defeat the Moabites and the Ammonites? He has some kind of plan. Otherwise, these people would have been destroyed along with the other Canaanite tribes when they took when Joshua led them into the promised land there's something else that uh, I believe is worth mentioning The war that's going on now is identified in the scripture. Psalm 83 gives us some information about it. They're coming out against Israel for the purpose of destroying them as a people. Now the Bible tells us that after the rapture of the church, there are seals that are opened in heaven. The first seal that's opened is the one that releases the Antichrist to begin his work in the earth. And the second seal opens the door for war to take place. And it's a, a World War III type scenario that's described. And that war is told, us, is told to us and identified in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. But just as the purpose for the war is taking place now, as being identified to wipe Israel off the face of the map. It tells us that the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war will be to take a spoil from Israel. It's not an attempt, at least not a, a, a recognized attempt to destroy Israel from the 
face of the earth, but rather to despoil Israel. Well, if the, the Hamas war now follows the pattern that we just read about in Second Chronicles chapter 20, then the spoils that come upon Israel are greater than what they have now. The Bible tells us that the condition for the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war to take place is that Israel will be living without walls and there will be a, a semblance at least of, a, of peace concerning the whole of the, the Israel, the nation of Israel. So if these things fit together, as we suspect, then this war in Hamas, war against Hamas, will be ended by God in such a way that it leads to the spoil of Israel being increased in great measure. Russia's economy is based on one and only one thing, and that's oil. Within the last 10 years, there's been more uh, there's been oil discovered in Israel that they've already been able to identify it as the third largest oil reserve or oil field in the world. So that might have something to do with Russia, who's identified as Gog and Magog, leading this coalition army to strip Israel of their oil reserves. And the end result that the scripture tells us of God delivering Israel or Judah in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 29, and again it said, And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. Folks, there's still some work for God to do to remind the enemies of Israel, that he is God and that he looks out after his people. Now it seems a hard thing for us to be able to understand or identify how God is going to help Israel in this war against Hamas without Hezbollah, another terrorist organization, to join in the fight and to try to destroy Israel from the north. But folks, all it would take is for Hamas to start fighting among themselves just as Moab and Ammon fought against the inhabitants of Mount Seir 
I really have a witness in my heart. And I believe it comes from the result of the praying that I've been doing. I really have a witness in my heart that God's going to come in and do another one of these enemies of Israel fight against themselves. And it will cause a quiet fear of the Lord from the other enemies of Israel and it will cease in their, stop them in their operations so that the conditions of the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war are met so that these things can progress and will probably progress speedily as soon as the church is caught up by Jesus when he comes back in what we call the rapture. Now we want to change gears a little bit and look at how supplication is identified in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 15 beginning in verse 21 then Jesus went thence and he departed unto the coast of Tyre and Sidon and behold a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him saying have mercy on me O Lord thou son of David my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil but he answered her not a word and his disciples came and besought him saying send her away for she crieth after us but he answered and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. She's doing the same thing that Jehoshaphat did. She's taking hold of the word. In this case, Jesus was the word made flesh. She knows something about him. She's not following a multitude. She goes specifically to where he is. And she puts her faith in the mercy of God. And it looks like it's not working to begin with. Jesus doesn't answer her. And finally, when he does give her an answer, it's not a positive one until she repeatedly applies the word to herself. Now, what she's doing, she's pleading her case. And with that in mind, let me remind you about Isaiah chapter 43. Verse 26, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Now I want to back up and read the previous verse. Verse 25, God is speaking to his people and he said, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgression for mine own sake and will not remember thy sin. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Folks, it seems odd that these two verses would be connected together unless God is trying to make a point. And the point that he would be making from this is that he doesn't remember our sins, but notice why he doesn't remember them. He doesn't remember them for our sakes. He doesn't remember them for his own sake. Now the Bible tells us what to do when we get caught up in sin. 1 John 1.9 says if we will confess our sins, and John's writing to the church, he's writing to the believers, not unbelievers. So he said if we will confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. 
So once we catch ourselves stepping outside of the love of God or doing something wrong, if we confess that sin, confess our wrongdoing to the Lord, he forgives that sin and wipes it from his memory. So if we were to go back and talk to God about that sin or apologize and ask forgiveness the second time, he wouldn't even know what we were talking about. Folks, I'm not even sure how God can wipe something away from his memory. But for his sake, that that keeps his, the door open for his love and his compassion to be upon us, he then says, put me in remembrance. Well, if he's not going to remember your sins, what is, he wants you to put you in put him in remembrance of. He wants us to put him in remembrance of his promises, of his promise to deliver us. That's what Jehoshaphat did in Second Chronicles chapter twenty. He reminds God of what he said when they dedicated the temple, when Solomon's temple was completed. God said to them, after it was dedicated, and the Bible tells us the power of God came into place and the priests couldn't stand to minister. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. And God said, Whenever you're in trouble, come to this place because that's where he caused his presence to be and remain. He said, when you're in trouble, come to this place and call upon me and I'll help you. So they're putting him in remembrance. Put me in remembrance, let us plead together. Jehoshaphat is pleading his case saying, Lord, you told us that you would defeat any and all of our enemies. He declares that the multitude that's arrayed against them is more than they would by themselves be able to, to deal with or defeat. So God says, put me in remembrance, let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Justified or justification has to do with the, the gift of righteousness. It's not enough for us just to be redeemed and made righteous. And this is another issue that many believers, if not most of them, leave undone concerning their Christian walk. It's not enough just to be made righteous. It's good that we're made righteous in God's sight, but we need to be made righteous in our own sight too. In other words, we need to declare our righteousness so that we have confidence to stand before the Lord. We have confidence to claim his many promises because that's where the devil always comes at us. He always tries to make us focus on our wrongdoing and then he tells us that if since we are guilty of wrongdoing, then we have disqualified ourselves from receiving God's blessings. But the Bible says, God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Folks, we've got to come to the place 
where we decide for ourselves what righteousness is worth. If we're righteous only in an unseen sense and never claim our righteousness, never claim that we are justified, then there's going to be a lot of God's blessings that we never will reach for. We need to develop ourselves and develop ourselves in who God says we are so that we can take hold of the promises of God. For example, in John 15, 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you of my Father which is in heaven. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God wants your prayers answered more than you want them answered. We need to be able to be honest with ourselves and with God as to whether or not the word is abiding in us. We need to be able to walk in the word to such a degree that we can plead our case based on the promises that God has made to us. Philippians chapter 3 verse 16 said, says that if we let the word of God dwell in us richly by teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We need to be able to say, say before God that we are walking in his word and that we are therefore eligible for the blessings of the righteous. We need to be honest enough with ourselves to put ourselves in that position of obedience. You remember in Deuteronomy chapter 28 where it tells us about Abraham's blessing. Abraham's blessing was satisfied or is satisfied by us keeping the word of God. It says if we will Keep the word of God and walk in the word that all of the blessings of Abraham will come upon us and overtake us. It's a hard thing to do to try to claim the promises of the word when we know we haven't kept the qualifications or the criteria. But on the other hand, if we know that we have kept the word, if we know that we are living our lives in a manner of keeping the word of God, that puts us in a place where we can plead our case before God. Put me in remembrance, let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. God's not on one side and we're on the other. We're both on the same side. Well, how do we get ourselves on the, on the same side as God without living according to his nature in us? That doesn't mean that we never do anything wrong. We all trip and, and make mistakes. But as we said before, once we confess that sin or wrongdoing, God wipes it away from his memory. I think one of the things that is greatly needed in the body of Christ is for us to have a revelation of 
the fact that our righteousness is exactly the same as God's righteousness itself. Jesus was made to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. You're just as righteous as God is because of the way that he set this up. We maintain that righteousness by keeping the law and that law is the law of the Moses was superseded and completed by the law of love. The Bible says love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. God put us in a position where he set the standard in such a manner as what we could be able to maintain. So the woman, Syrophoenician woman in Mark in Matthew chapter 15, she pleads her case based on the abundance of God's goodness and his willingness to help. And Jesus called that great faith. Great faith, therefore, must take the word of God and make it personal. Great faith, therefore, must be characterized by not giving up, by refusing to allow adversity to stop us from having what God said was ours. I, it seems to me that pleading together is not pleading your case against God but claiming your place as being on God's side. Brother Hagen used to tell the story of a man that worked in his, that was the Sunday school superintendent, if I remember correctly, in his church, the, one of the little churches in Texas that he pastored early in his ministry. And this guy fell down into the machinery. And he was all kinds of problems resulted from that. There were not just broken bones, but shattered bones and so forth. And so when they got him to the hospital, he was in critical condition. And Brother Hagen stayed with him for a long period of time. And he fell asleep during the night. And the nurses woke him up, rushing in to attend to the guy. There were machines that were beeping and making lots of noises. And Brother Hagen thought, oh my goodness, I've fallen asleep and let him die on me. And he asked the nurse, is he dead? And she said, no, we thought that he was, but he's, he's still there. But then she spoke up and said, but there's no way that we can see that he'd be able to make it through the night. So Brother Hagen walked out into the hall and just whispered his prayer to the Lord. And he said, Lord, I can't let him go. I need him. And if I need him, you need him. He does more work than everybody else in the Sunday school department combined. He said, he's a faithful tither to the church. I can't let him go. So he went back into the room and everybody had settled down by then. And after a couple of hours, the same thing happened again. He fell asleep again. 
and the nurses came rushing in with all the beeping of the machines and so forth. And Brother Hagin walked back out into the hall the second time. And he prayed that same prayer again. Lord, I can't let him go. He mentioned the, the same things again that he had the first time. Well, as it were, the man began to amend. And the doctors found that a lot of the things that they had seen in him, like the broken and shattered bones when he was first admitted, a lot of those things had disappeared and changed. And so when the guy got back to church, Brother Hagen had him stand up and give his testimony. And this guy said that he remembers falling into the machinery, but he doesn't remember making contact after he fell. He said, I was in heaven. He talked about how beautiful things were that he saw. And then he said, then I saw Jesus. And he said, I was just about to fall down before him and worship him. And Jesus said, you've got to go back. You can't stay. And he said, but Lord, I don't want to go back. Why do I have to go back? He said, Jesus pulled aside a little sheer curtain type thing. And he heard Brother Hagin speaking one of those prayers. I can't let him go. He does more work than anybody else. He supports the church with his tithes. I can't let him go. If I need him, you need him. And so the man said, Jesus looked back at him and told him, you have to go back. Next thing he knew, he was in his hospital room. And he's beginning to amend. Now there may be some things about that that we don't know and couldn't know. Because if we take it just at the things that we've identified, that would place Brother Hagin's will above the man's will. And it doesn't work like that, that's for sure. But there was something about it. It, it may have had to do with his wife's position too. She was, when Brother Hagin first got the news about the accident that had taken place, when he got there, the man's wife was already there. And she came up to Brother Hagin and said, Brother Hagin, the doctors don't think he's going to live. But we've got inside information. And she was talking about information inside the Word of God. So she had her faith on bringing him back. Whether that was enough to change things, I don't know. So just as Jehoshaphat pled his case and pled Judas' case to the Lord, Because they looked unto him for answers. They looked unto him for help. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. What God will do for a righteous man or woman that's walking in his word, living their lives with the word of God as the foundation for what they do and what they believe. What God will do for you 
because you've been made righteous. Because you've chosen to accept the truth of the word in spite of the things that we see and feel around us. What God will do for you. You know, when Jesus talks about the impossible becoming possible or being made possible, he says some things that are just absolutely unqualified He told us that nothing is impossible with the Lord. He said that there's nothing that's too hard for the Lord. He said that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. What's the limit on that? He didn't put any limits. We might put some on there just through lack of knowledge or something. But Jesus revealed us a God that's so big that the physical laws of nature couldn't hold him back. He walked on the water when he didn't have any place else to go. He multiplied loaves and fishes to feed 5,000 people. Well, really to feed 5,000 men. It could have been a crowd of 15,000 if the women and the children were added too. When God appeared to Abraham and rekindled his hope for a child, even though he was beyond childbearing years. The same was true for his wife, Sarah. The question was asked point blank to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? Too many of us live like there are things that are too hard for the Lord. But nothing can be impossible for God. That's true in the world that we live in. That's true in the conditions of our physical bodies. It's true in every area of life. Nothing's too hard for God. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Declare your righteousness to God. Declare your righteousness to yourself. Declare what the Bible says that is yours is really yours. And watch and see what God will do. Let's pray. Father, we magnify your holy name. Thank you, Lord, that there's nothing that's too hard for you. You can bring peace to any situation. We pray for Israel in this current day. We pray that you would make their enemies like the Midianites. That their enemies' leadership would be cut off that the enemy's plans would be exposed. Cause Israel's enemies to be destroyed, Father, and for the world to be at rest. Show that you are the God, the God of the Bible, the God that makes the enemies of Israel like tumbleweed blowing down the street. Father, we thank you that through the 
precious blood sacrifice of Jesus himself. We have been redeemed from poverty, spiritual death, and sickness. We are righteous not by our own doing, but we are righteous by the shed blood of Jesus. Father, we declare we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we are justified by the precious sacrifice of Jesus' blood. Thank you, Father, that because we continue in your word, we know the truth and the truth sets us free. Thank you, Father, that we are set free from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. We are your children. We are heirs of God. And that you guide our, our step and lead us into that which you wish for us to be. Make us who you cause us to see reality, Father, even as you have caused it to be. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Say it after me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, that's something the devil can never take away from you. No matter what he says, no matter what he tries to remind you of, he can't change that. That's who we are. Amen. I'm looking forward to see what God does in this situation with Israel. Remember, he told us there would be wars and rumors of wars, but he told us to be at peace. No need for us to get upset about things that are taking place. He has it well under control. And he will spare and preserve his people in every possible way. Amen. Amen. We serve a big God. Amen. Folks, have a great day. We love you.